At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5GB data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 's been in my head all day all day. <laughs> like all day that and and I, I was checking out so we'll talk about it uh-huh. we'll talk about yeah, it yeah we'll talk about it welcome to no dogs in space extra play edition y'all hi I'm Marcus Barks and I'm Carolina Hidalgo thank you very much for joining us today and of course as you know extra play is sort of our you know the place where we like to put the smaller stories the stuff that we're interested in and today we have something that is inspired by the news. We do cover news stories sometimes. But yes, we're not talking about the queen. <laughs> Although we did watch that funeral, and I still don't believe she's in that box. <laughs> I do not believe that, but we're going to talk about something else. Yes, it is speculated that the box is actually full of dead cats. <laughs> we have, however, not been able to confirm this report, although there are some on Channel 4 that suspect that it is full of chickens. You see, that sounds real. That, that <laughs> Now that sounds real. But oh, no, yeah. we got to get into other more important news. The, the, the news that's been buried. <laughs> Speaking of buried, <laughs> news have been buried uh, this week. And actually, we're actually going to just take one story and expand it to one whole episode because yeah. this is the only thing that we wanted to talk about. Exactly. Now, this is actually a biannual news story. And I think that's why it kind of went under the radar a little bit because this comes up every two years because every two years, this man has a parole hearing. Today, we're going to be talking about Mark David Chapman. So Mark David Chapman, just a few days ago, he was denied parole for the 12th time for, of course, the 1980 shooting murder of John Lennon. And some of you who are last podcast fans, you might have already heard the entire Mark David Chapman story on a series that we did a few years ago. And I still believe it's one of our underrated series. I think it's fantastic. Oh, thank you. But we here on No Dogs in Space figured that in light of this parole hearing, we'd revisit the Mark David Chapman story, for those of you who don't know it. And we're also going to be talking about it more from the perspective of, of course, the music. Yes. In the process, we are going to greatly expand on the short-lived 1974 feud between John Lennon and Mark David Chapman's actual favorite musician, Todd Rundgren. (laughs) (laughs) You got to say more like Todd Rundgren. (laughs) Okay. Tad Rundgren. That's pretty good. That was too short <laughs> of a music clip. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember in Guardians of the Galaxy Part Do. Part Do. That when Kurt Russell's like weirdly, you know, a young face shows up. 
and he's driving through the thing and he's, you know, uh, this doesn't matter, right? This is not the important part. This is a parole hearing, Carolina, and we're going to deny you a chance to judge John Lennon and, and Todd Rundgren. Oh, and by the way, Mark David Chapman. Not guilty. <laughs> well, interestingly, Todd Rundgren re-released I Saw the Light in 2020 in a collaboration with Rick Wakeman. Rick Wakeman was one of the favorite artists of Dennis Nilsson, the so-called British Jeffrey Dahmer. Although Nilsson's number one love was Laurie Anderson, who was married to Lou Reed. What is this? What kind of game <laughs> show is this? Anyway, you know, who's Todd Rundgren? And the, and the, the question is, how many C's are in Rick Wakeman? <laughs> what, what is going on? One. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually correct. Wow. Not guilty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, refresh us on Todd Rundgren. Yes, well, let's refresh or let's say learn for the first time <laughs> uh, who Todd Rundgren is, right? A super famous and respected singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, recording engineer, and producer, and just everything. Mm -hmm. He encompasses like a lot of music, especially the music of that time. Yeah. When we're talking about, of course, the 70s and going on forward, especially with his production stuff. Yeah. But real quick bio, Todd Rundgren grew up in Jersey, but he started out in Philadelphia with a band called The Nas. Ooh. And with that band, he recorded a couple of albums but by the time they were finished with the second one the band was like done yeah. you know it was kaput there were a bunch of kids but Todd's musical career was really just about to begin particularly in the recording studio because 6 months after his band broke up you know, Todd was just hanging around New York City, you know, Greenwich Village. You know, he was also like designing lights for a club or what they used to call a discotheque. <laughs> when uh, one of the managers of his old band, the Nas, tracked him down and said, hey, I'm working for Albert Grossman, you know, Bob Dylan's old manager. Yeah. And he's starting a new record label. And soon he's going to build this thing called Bearsville Studios. And, you know, I saw how good you were around the console during the Nas recording. So we need someone to come in and help record some artists. What do you say? I say that Extra Play is quickly becoming a Bearsville Studios fucking podcast. I love it. I love it. We're always going to just go back there. It's great. So, yes. So, Todd said, yes, I will. What is this Bearsville? Yes, I will do this. <laughs> and he engineered some stuff like the band Stage Fright. Uh, no shit. He engineered Stage Fright. Yeah, that's when he met Patti Smith. Wow. Oh, right. We're doing a Patti Smith series. That's why we know all about this. That's Yeah, he was engineering that when Patti Smith went to go visit them in like Woodstock area. Yeah, when they were trying Trying to figure out Jimi Hendrix's language of music. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. And, you know, Patty did have something to say about him, and which actually made a lot of sense. She said, like, he was very sober, very judgmental, uh, <laughs> very talented. He was like, he was just like me. Yeah. You know, that's what Patty Smith said. Like, he was so much like me, like with the whole judgmental and the, the young obnoxiousness, but, but also the, the smarts and the talent and the, and the hard work ethic. Yeah. And I do believe that is Todd Rundgren because I've been listening to interviews from him back then and today. And he seems to be that kind of guy. Yeah. He's, you know, you give him the due respect. He's, he's, about, got, he's a gruff guy. He's about the work. Yes, he is about the work. Yeah. And so, you know, when he started working on all, uh, you know, uh, engineering these other stuff, he also started working and producing his own solo stuff that he didn't mean to call Runt. But everyone, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was just the name, like it was like a nickname, like a high school nickname. Yeah. And so he was going to call it Todd Rungren's Runt. But on the cover, it just said Runt and his picture. So then they're like, oh, there's this band called Runt. <laughs> so he decided to go with that for a little bit. You know, and he got a hit song out of his first album, uh, We Gotta Get You a Woman, mm -hmm. in 1970, which peaked at number 20 in the charts, actually. Oh, very nice. Good for him. But 
Todd's most successful album was, of course, Something Slash Anything or Something Anything. His third record, which he released in 1972, which has that awesome song, I Saw the Lights. Yeah. Yes, the Kurt Russell. It, it, it's no 10 CC, yeah. but it is very good, especially because this album, he wrote all the songs, he played all the instruments, he sang all the vocals, produced the thing himself of three out of the four sides of that double album, and he was only 24 years old. Jesus. Yes. By then, when that came out, he was massively successful, which led him to throw away his songwriting formula because he's like, this is too contrived. You mm-hmm. know, like, I don't want to do this. He's like, I wrote this song, I saw the light, but it was such a formula that I didn't really feel much from it. And I need something that means something to me. Right. It's got to be entertaining, of course, but it has to mean something. So he decided to take some LSD, Mm -hmm. LSD, baby, (laughs) and see what kind of crazy experimental shit can come out of that. You know, the no rules, man. And that's when a wizard, a true star came out, which is insane. (laughs) Insane. (laughs) It it wants me to get off acid. If you ever listen to it, it will want you to get off that ride. Yeah. But at the same time, it's actually pretty fun, too. Okay. And it's really good. Like Todd says, it's like it's the most me album I've ever made. Yeah. It is the most me who I am. So he finally found the thing that was him. And also Prince liked it. So he's like, fuck all you guys if you don't like it. I don't care that I got 5.5 or whatever. Pitchfork gave me a B minus. You know, Prince liked it. All right. I don't know why you don't. Yeah. All right. But so he continued on this like massive success as like, you know, solo artist as well as a recording producer, you yeah. know, because he did New York Dolls, of course, Patty Smith's Wave, Grand Funk Railroad, and later Meat Loaf's Bad Out of Hell. So he's got this solid reputation. Yeah, and he actually got a fair amount of royalties from Bad Out of Hell. It's like Bad Out of Hell is like the number 5 most selling album of all time. It's My crazy God. how popular Bad Out of Hell actually is. But Todd Rundgren said that he actually sold his stake in Bad Out of Hell to Meatloaf and Sony and he fucking bought himself a house in Hawaii. And the That's interview- where he lives today. <laughs> and that's where he lives still lives today. Is Todd Rundgren in Hawaii just fucking hanging out, having a great time. But concerning Mark David Chapman, as I said in the last podcast series, if Charles Manson is the dark side of the 60s come to life, Mark David Chapman was its blubbering afterbirth. Chapman was a classic boomer narcissist, the type of person who blamed everyone else for his inability to make life work. There's a reason why they were called the me generation. Right. And we're just talking, we're not generalizing the boomer generation. (laughs) Hey, you can generalize millennials all you fucking want. I'll generalize you, generalize me, I'll generalize you, you motherfucker. Exactly. This is how the divide gets even further and further. <laughs> listen, listen, it's not everyone, but what I remember what you said in your Mark David Chapman episode. It was like, well, it wasn't that he represented the boomer generation. It's just he represented the worst traits. Yes. Of like the thing of like, you know, you think that John Lennon killed the 60s when he was killed or whatever business. But no, it was actually policy. Yes. It was and policy. I agree with you. I agree. <laughs> you. What was it? Policy. 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 This just destroyed everything in the culture wars. Policy. Yeah. That's that's where the compassion of the 60s went. It wasn't fucking John Lennon dying. It was the boomers voting Reagan into office. So, And thank you for that. Really, <laughs> really. Yeah, thank you for making sure that all the mental institutions in this country are shut down, hence leading to the crisis we have today. Anyway, Mark David Not Chapman. guilty! <laughs> Mark David Chapman, he had quite the imagination. And when he was a child, he created a fantasy world populated by a race of beings he called the little people. When the little people did bad, Chapman would destroy them and torture them and kill them. But when they were good, he'd play them Beatles songs, specifically tracks from the album Meet the Beatles. Remember I'll always be true. 
very pleasant. You I, know? I really, you know what? The Beatles are very good. <laughs> they are very good. Very good. Very, very good. And when Mark David Chapman played the Beatles for the little people, they would hail him as the king of music. And they would say, long live the king of the little people. <laughs> and they're all living in his head. Where, where do they live? They live outside of his head. He's actually seeing the little people. Oh, gotcha. And they've got these little, you know, they've got little towns that he sees and he met. It's imaginary friend for, okay, for gotcha. a child. Of course, they showed up later and they did put together like a treasury and they got together all the money so he could travel to New York City and uh, kill John Lennon. But that's later. Right now, they're <laughs> listening to the Beatles. <laughs> gotcha, right now, they're gotcha. listening to I Want to Hold Your Hand and having a fucking great time, you know. But, uh, you know, later things got dark. But Mark David Chapman said that there was always one thing that he didn't like about the Beatles. He said that he would stare at the sleeve to meet the Beatles. He would peer into the face of those four disembodied British heads floating in the black for hours. There was one member just didn't like his face for whatever reason. And that member was John Lennon. And while this might have been kind of a hindsight type of situation in which Chapman makes up a long-standing grudge, he said that this was his first memory of an acrimonious feeling towards the Beatles. But by the time Mark David Chapman became a teenager in the late 60s, early 70s, he'd gotten way too into drugs of any and all kinds, and he'd become a bit of a garbage head. That was the term back then. It's like the type of dude who like sniffs glue and then drops acid. Bad fucking vibes. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. But after he'd done too much acid and became disillusioned with the quickly dying hippie movement, he turned to Jesus Christ and became a so-called Jesus freak, which happened to a lot of people when the free love and easy drugs of the hippie movement broke their fucking brains. Yeah, yeah especially as you mentioned, like Mark David Chapman was really young when he started taking these kind of drugs, the hallucinogenics, where usually it's good to wait till your brain is done cooking. Yeah. To about like the, your early 20s. Mm-hmm. And then and then you start this. And then you start the experimentation. Exactly. But that could have might have possibly led to some further mental illness. Yeah, yeah. 15's a bad idea. 22? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Help me a hell of a yeah. whole lot, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of little people around us telling us to take acid constantly. <laughs> well, it was around this time when he became a Jesus freak. And by the way, did you come across, because in the 90s, Jesus freaks became popular again. Because remember the 90s, there was like that 70s resurgence. Jesus freaks became, did you deal with those in Philadelphia or Mexico no, at all? I mean, they're there, I believe. I don't know. They never came in my purview or they never <laughs> wanted to bother me. I don't know what the deal was. Too many of them around. Yeah. Like fucking youth counselors that wore sandals. Like, you know, Jesus was the first to have piercings. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I once ended up at a friend's like, you know, one of those camp things for yes. like a day or yes. something. And I, I, I didn't get a candy bar because I couldn't answer any of the questions about the Bible. <laughs> I remember being, going home being really mad about that. And that was the end of uh, religion. <laughs> well, it was around this time that Mark David Chapman finally got wind of John Lennon's 1966 interview in which Lennon said that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. And it, that was about five or six years afterwards. I think someone told him about it. But you know the statement, it's really, I mean, it's John Lennon's like, 
hootie do facetiousness. Like, oh, hootie do. Oh, I'm in the fucking Beatles. Like, it's just <laughs> like, it's whatever. It's kind of cringy now. But right. back then, it was a gigantic fucking scandal. Right. And this interview was published in America in Datebook Magazine, which at the time was being run by Danny Fields who, soon after publishing that article, worked with Jim Morrison, then discovered the Stooges in the MC5, then managed the Ramones. Yes. <laughs> he just, he did that and more. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So much more. Again, the modern lovers, fucking every, I mean, as you put it way back when, I can't remember which episode it was, maybe the Ramones, is that like, if Malcolm McLaren was like the dark side of the yes, punk Yes, he is like, a Lord well, Sith. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> yeah and, and Danny Fields is from the light side. Yeah. Because as far as, you know, making connections and bringing people together and that kind of idea of him seeing like this person would be good with this band and everything and doing that just for the love of music and yeah. the love of creativity. Yeah. Danny Fields is the positive side and, you know, fucking then Malcolm McLaren. There's is... some culture vultures and a little bit of exploitation <laughs> and all that business. Yes. But when Mark David Chapman heard about the bigger than Jesus statement, he decided that it was the most outrageous thing he'd ever heard. And that was strike two for John Lennon. Chapman started bringing up John Lennon and specifically the song Imagine in every prayer meeting, calling it blasphemous and communistic. Sometimes he'd even sing Imagine John Lennon is dead just to get a rise. This, however, was in 1971, nine years before the assassination and just after Imagine was released. And as I said on last podcast, that's one of the astounding facts about the Mark David Chapman story. He didn't spend years obsessing over John Lennon and how he would one day destroy his greatest enemy. Really, all of that began and ended over the course of just a few months in 1980. Mark David Chapman's real music obsession throughout the 70s was Todd Rundgren. Yeah, that's my guy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. He, he was obsessed with Todd. Like, you know, as you said, John Lennon was more like, oh, no, he just popped up in my head every 15 years and I really didn't like it. Yeah. But Todd Rundgren, like, that's that was his guy. Yeah. About Rundgren's music, Chapman said, I was in my own private world with Todd Rundgren. You know, I'm a feeling, sensitive, poetic type person and I need my emotions expressed in poetry and in harmony and not in babble. Oh, God. <laughs> But what's truly interesting about all of this, and perhaps what became another strike against John Lennon, was the fact that in 1974, John Lennon and Todd Rundgren had a brief feud that began in the pages of Melody Maker, one of the biggest music digests of the mid-70s. That's true. Uh, Todd was promoting his fifth solo album called Todd. Mm -hmm. He's like, finally, people stop calling me Run. It's Todd. <laughs> Todd. So he just kind of started promoting. It really wasn't a big deal. And then they got on the subject of John Lennon. Mm. And so what he said about his favorite Beatle, I guess <laughs> you could say, was that John Lennon ain't no revolutionary. He's a fucking idiot, man. <laughs> Shouting about revolution and acting like an ass. It just makes people feel uncomfortable. And then Todd went on to say... 100% correct, by the way. <laughs> Todd went on to say, okay, yeah, he's an important figure for sure. But then so was Richard Nixon. <laughs> And then all the journalists just ran to the payphones. And he said, you know, and then he and then Todd kept going, like, you know, John Lennon hit a waitress at the Troubadour? And everyone was like, I can't write fast enough for this. Just to print it. The printing presses were going crazy. It's just the smoke coming everywhere. And so so yes, Todd admittedly he did say that. He really didn't mean to get out with that, but whatever, he couldn't help it. He's a little self-righteous sometimes, as we said, judgmental. It happens a lot when you have really great music tastes from. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what we like to think. Yeah. So 
But the thing is, Todd Rundgren was a huge, massive Beatles fan. Yeah. Just like Mark David Chapman. <laughs> Actually, he was a massive Beatles fan from Jump, from when he first heard them. And he wasn't just a fan of their music, but he like was a fan of their lifestyle. Yeah. He said himself, like, I had trouble fitting in when I was much younger. And with them, I felt like I could fit in. Like, I could be one of the guys, kind of like, well, not necessarily like hang out with them, but like I could represent that in my own way. Yeah. And he knew that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to make music. And so, obviously, throughout the years when he got older and he got more judgy, <laughs> he decided to be like, well, you know, man, you know, everything you're saying is fake. You yeah. Know? Well, I'd say as he got to know John Lennon a little bit more and as everyone got to know John Lennon a little bit more, they're like, this guy's kind of a fucking piece of shit. A wife beetle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so John Lennon obviously hears about this and he replies with an open letter dated September 30th, 1974, where he writes, Dear Todd, I like you and some of your work, including I Saw the Light, which is not unlike There's a Place by the Beatles, melody wise. Doesn't sound anything like it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds nothing like it. And then the rest of the letter reads more like a listicle, right? (laughs) So he goes, one, I have never claimed to be a revolutionary, but I am allowed to sing about anything I want, right? Sure. Number two, I never hit a waitress in the troubadour. I did act like an ass. I was too drunk. So shoot me. (laughs) It's in the letter. And it goes on. I know, I know, I know. We have to make fun of puns, but we can't help it. Well, I mean, he has a couple of puns. You and what army? (laughs) He's got a couple of puns himself in his fucking letter. I hope you get to the puns. Oh, when he called him Sod Runtlestuntle? (laughs) Or called him Rod? I guess we're all looking for attention. Rod, do you really think I don't know how to get it without revolution? I could dye my hair green and pink for a start. Ooh, I think that's a dig at Todd and all his multicolored uh, weirdness, which mm-hmm. I love, by the way. Yeah, that's great. And they called him the American Bowie sometimes. That's right. And then, oh, that is very right. Yeah. Wow, that <laughs> is was, good. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. And, you know, John Lennon kept on saying, like, I don't represent anyone but myself. It sounds like I represented something to you or you wouldn't be so violent towards me. Your dad, perhaps? I don't know why he's bringing his dad into this. No idea. It was so weird. So he ends the letter with John Lennon says, somebody played me your rock and roll Pussy song, because it's supposedly aimed at John Lennon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never noticed anything. I think that the real reason you're mad at me is because I don't know who you were at the Rainbow Room, right? Yeah, in I, LA. I didn't know who you were in L.A. Remember that time you came in with Wolfman Jack? When I found out Can't later... Wolfman Jack! <laughs> when I found out later, I was cursing because I wanted to tell you how good you were. I've heard you on the radio. Anyway, however much you hurt me, darling, I'll always love you. J.L. So passive aggressive. And you're not even going to talk about how he called him, what, turd runt bum? That's one of them, yes. <laughs> he called him a different name every single time. Yeah. It was like turd runtle cry. He called him a turd. He called him a turd. And a sod <laughs> instead of Todd, which I thought was pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good for a British guy. Oh, he, turd, call- he called him turd something. I got to figure out. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll look it up later. We'll look it up. We'll ask Todd Rundgren himself. <laughs> But the other thing is, is that, you know, there is speculation as to whether Mark David Chapman actually read this article and maybe if it was one of the things that set him towards John Lennon. It's I, I hard to say because it's in Melody Maker, which is a British magazine. Yeah. And how is it going to make it all the way to Hawaii, which uh, coincidentally... Mark David Chapman was living in Hawaii, right? Was yeah. not was he not? He was, I don't know if he was in Hawaii just yet in 1974. Oh, gotcha. I can't quite remember. But even so, for Melody Maker to make it to America, that was you know that would have been pretty difficult. But it's funny the guy who wrote the article, who interviewed Todd Rundgren for Melody Maker, he definitely likes to take credit for 
killing John Lennon. Like he says it very explicitly in multiple interviews. He's like, yeah, yeah, I wrote the article that Mark David Chapman wrote that, and, you know, and after he read that article, he went and killed John Lennon. Yeah, that was me. That was definitely me. Of course it was me. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but honestly, I think it was just a gigantic coincidence. I don't know if Mark David Chapman knew about it at all. That's right. This happened in 74. Yeah. And of course, really quick, Todd and John Lennon actually put it to rest very quickly afterwards, after all the papers went crazy. And then John Lennon called up Todd and said, like, let's just drop this because it's pretty obvious that they're trying to manipulate us to sell more papers. And I really don't care about this enough. Yeah. And Todd said, Yeah. I mean, if it was actually brought up by The Wire, it's a possibility that Mark David Chapman did read it, but it wasn't what drove him over the edge. It really wasn't. What supposedly drove him over the edge, or at least what was supposedly the inspiration for the whole thing, what set him on the path to murder, was Catcher in the Rye. But things are, of course, a lot more fucking complicated than that. We get way into it on last podcast, into the psychology of Mark David Chapman. Go check it out after you listen to Extra Play for more on that. But that is to say that Chapman would have found one reason or another to kill somebody someday, whether he read Salinger or not. But it could be argued that it was Catcher in the Rye that pointed the gun towards John Lennon in particular, completely by coincidence. Now, I've still not read Catcher in the Rye and have no plans to ever do so. (laughs) But I do know that the main character, Holden Caulfield, spends most of the book railing against people that he calls phonies. Did you ever read Catcher in the Rye? No, but I have heard that you got to be between the ages of like 13 and like 16 and a half. Yeah. (laughs) And then that's it. And of course, I missed that boat. You did too. And so if you missed it, you really can't read it because apparently it's like the thing like don't take acid before 22. (laughs) You know, don't read this after that either so yes it's about a guy yeah and that's all i know yeah (laughs) now continue a guy named holden yes now mark david chapman had read catcher in the rye eight or nine years before deciding to kill john lennon but he picked up the book again in 1980 as he was browsing a library in honolulu he was definitely living in honolulu by 1980 chapman was going through a particularly dark period in a life full of dark periods and he'd spent years stewing in his own juices about how life wasn't fair because the world had not bestowed greatness upon him. For some reason, though, the concept of phonies stuck with Mark David Chapman the second time he read the book, and he quickly became obsessed. Soon, Chapman was wearing a custom-made t-shirt that said, I'm unique, I think for myself. And he wore it specifically to bait people into making fun of them so he could call them phonies. Wow. Yeah. What an asshole. It, yeah, you know, it does scream of a, like a lot of uh, kind of self-righteousness, yeah, like yeah. that kind of Elliot Roger kind of thing of yeah. like, oh, go ahead, you know, like start something with me. Mm. I- I'll be right. Yeah, yeah, the ultimate gentleman. But that obsession seemed to give a laser focus to all of the free-floating hatred that Chapman had been storing throughout the years. And it was amidst this obsession that Chapman found another book in the same library that he'd found Catcher. Because with Mark David Chapman... Everything is about coincidence. And that book was John Lennon, One Day at a Time by Anthony Fawcett. In flipping through the pages, Chapman found dozens of photographs of John Lennon's opulent lifestyle, paid for by his near billion dollar share of the Beatles gold mine. And what set Chapman off the most were photos of Lennon on the roof of the Dakota building in the Upper West Side of New York City. And so Chapman sat there and thought about all those years he'd spent listening to the Beatles as a kid, all the, all you need is love, and all that horse shit. And Chapman started getting angry. 
Then Chapman read an article in which Lennon admitted that all the obnoxious stunts he and Yoko pulled over the years, like the bed-in and all that shit, he admitted that they were all cynical promotional events designed to sell records. In other words, John Lennon was a phony. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Now, I'm not saying that he's wrong, but he really, truly did say like this was all like just a stunt or was he just saying like, I'm trying to bring awareness to the end of, you know, of all this stuff. It's somewhat unclear as to whether he actually said it like full on like, yeah, you know, I don't give a shit about anything. I mean, basically what the message boiled down to is that he didn't believe in anything except John and Yoko. Right. And that that was it. He didn't believe in peace and love and all that. He believes in John and Yoko and that's it. You right. Know? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's in the letter. Yeah. It's in the letter <laughs> to Todd Rundgren. Yeah. I just believe in self and self is in all big capital letters. Yeah, he believes in self. No, no, it, it's, well, it's, he's talking out of his ass because that's what John Lennon always did. He just talked out of his ass constantly. Half of his shit made sense. Yeah, he was a great songwriter, of course, but I prefer George Harrison and Paul McCartney. Agreed. Or the kinks. Yeah. Really. If you, you can ask, the kinks are pretty good. <laughs> what finally pushed Chapman over the edge was when he was thumbing through his wife's Beatles LPs and he happened to pull out a copy of Sgt. Pepper's. Chapman, again, sat on the floor staring at John Lennon's face amongst the host of historical figures on the sleeve when suddenly he thought, wouldn't it be something if I killed John Lennon? Now, John Lennon always believed that he'd be assassinated for his political beliefs, like Gandhi or Martin Luther King. Oh, God. He thought a lot of himself. Yeah. But ironically, in the end, he was basically killed for being full of shit and admitting wow. that publicly. Yeah. Oh, gosh. OK, here we go. Two men. coming. <laughs> they're slowly coming together. We're telling yeah. this story. Mark yeah. David Chapman, the guy who did nothing, wanted everything. John Lennon, who actually did quite a bit, yes. but really deserved none. <laughs> and they're going to come face to face very soon. And so Mark David Chapman flew to New York with the purpose of killing John Lennon. But the first attempt was actually aborted. That first time, he went to go see David Bowie and George C. Scott star in a production of The Elephant Man. That's great. That's enough for me to break my plans. Cancel everything. <laughs> of course I'd see that. Yeah, but it's tailor-made for you. You're such a huge George C. Scott. Well, we're both huge George C. Yeah. Scott fans. David Lynch, you know, I guess they're adapting it from the story of The Elephant Man. Or is, no, wait, when did... Ah. It's 1980. It's the play. I don't think David Lynch's Elephant Man. I think David Lynch adapted the play to make the movie. And then David Bowie adapted the play for the play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is extra play. Where we just go off the cuff here. We don't we, you know, we don't know what I mean, every once in a while David Bowie would like say like, "Hey, I was on Mark David Chapman's hit list too." But really like Okay, so Mark David Chapman did take a gun to that performance, and he did say that he sat there thinking like, "Wow, it would be really easy to kill David Bowie right now." But he wasn't necessarily on a hit list. No, no. That sounds like something Johnny Ramone would do <laughs> if he wasn't in the Ramones. <laughs> but when Chapman returned to New York the second time, he read an Esquire article on the plane criticizing John Lennon for his hypocritical upscale lifestyle, which Chapman took as a sign that he was doing something right, which he wasn't. But he took it as a sign. Because again, it's all about coincidence. 
And so, the night before Chapman killed Lennon, he built a little shrine in his hotel room with the Bible open to Gospel According to John, a Wizard of Oz postcard he bought the day before, and an eight-track tape of Runt by Todd Rundgren. That was his first solo effort when he asked Albert Grossman if he could use the studio to make it. Okay, yeah, great. We got it. We got it. But Chapman was shaky all the way up till he did the deed. See, on the afternoon of the murder, he'd actually met John Lennon outside of the Dakota, and Lennon politely signed Chapman's copy of Double Fantasy, which, in my experience, is the most common record found in the new arrivals bin at any record store in America. I see it five times a fucking month. What about Mark David Chapman's Double Fantasy? <laughs> I would love to... Everyone go check the bins, the dollar bins uh, uh, <laughs> of Double Fantasy signed by John Lennon that was currently owned by... At that time, Mark David Chapman. Please uh, look it up. It did actually sell. Someone found it. Yeah. They put it up for auction. Nice. eBay. Uh, it started. <laughs> or Christie's, uh, maybe. Golden Auctions was the company. It went for $900,000. Wow. Yeah. After 10 bids. But yep, it's out there. It was sold. And you're never seeing it. No. So after meeting Lennon, Chapman sat outside of the Dakota looking for a sign that his mission was correct. And as some of you may already know, the Dakota was also where Roman Polanski filmed Rosemary's Baby, starring Mia Farrow. And famously, Roman Polanski was married to Sharon Tate during the Manson murders, which, as far as Chapman knew, were supposedly inspired by Helter Skelter by the Beatles. He is seeing signs everywhere. <laughs> Although Helter Skelter was written by Paul McCartney. But regardless, on December 8th, 1980, the day John Lennon died, who should walk by Chapman as he was sitting on a bench across from the Dakota, but Mia Farrow herself. What the fuck? <laughs> Just give me the gun. The times, times are nigh. The end is near. Holy shit. She was just happened to be walking by. Just happened to be walking by. by. I mean, I mean, I, at the same time, what, that's that's the Upper West Side. Upper West Side, yeah. yeah. So that, I mean, you're going to see a lot of rich and famous people kind of walk around there sometimes. I once saw Jodie Foster around there. Yeah. So, you know, she's like, looked at me like, don't come up to me. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know. It's, it's like when I saw, uh, what's her name? Uh, Redhead from Boogie Nights. Uh, uh, oh, Julianne Moore? Julianne Moore. But you didn't kill anyone afterwards. <laughs> you didn't take a, no, you know. You no, didn't. she was walking her dogs. Uh, I looked at her. She looked at me. She regard, uh, I regarded her and she silently said, thank you for not talking to me. Uh, silently. Uh, silently, yes. <laughs> so, so okay, so this was a sign. It was a sign. But on the other hand, he might have also just seen a woman with a pixie cut. Oh, I never thought of that. Did anyone ever ask Mia Farrow what she was doing that day? It's <laughs> like, we don't think you did it. But where were you? Well, Mark David Chapman took this as a sure sign that his mission was righteous, so the plan went forward. And so, at 11 o'clock that night, John Lennon's limo pulled up in front of the Dakota, and Mark David Chapman, who'd passed himself off as a nice, harmless Beatles fan for days, he was standing there waiting. When the limo stopped, Yoko Ono got out first, and Chapman smiled and nodded. Then Lennon appeared, and he shared a look with Mark David Chapman. Lennon then walked towards the arch of the Dakota, quickening his pace with every step as if he knew something was wrong. Chapman, however, said that there was a dead silence in his mind as Lennon walked away until a voice said, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And so Chapman pulled his revolver, aimed and pulled the trigger five times. Four bullets hit John Lennon and John Lennon took off in a sprint despite the wounds but he soon crashed through a glass door out of Mark David Chapman's sight and collapsed. Very quickly, though, 
the weight of what Mark David Chapman had done set in. Yeah, this is a major fuck up. You don't kill anyone, <laughs> not even John Lennon. That, that is it. That's what I got to say about that. Yeah. That was wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. You don't kill anyone. No, don't kill anyone. I, I know. I know. Yeah. I know it sounds so obvious. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mark David Chapman dropped his gun, took out a copy of Catcher in the Rye, and he sat there trying to read it, waiting for the cops to show up. He said none of the words made sense. Couldn't really concentrate. He then started pacing around, hoping that since he didn't see John Lennon's body, then maybe he hadn't shot John Lennon after all. But once Chapman was in the back of the police car, he saw John Lennon's limp body being carried out of the Dakota. And the rest, as they say, is history for Mark David Chapman. And his parole has been denied for the 12th time. Yes, apparently after 20 years, because he got 20 years to life, every two years you get a parole hearing. By New York State law, yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Wow, yeah, and and how's Todd Rungren doing today? (laughs) He has a nice house in Hawaii at all places. He's doing great. And he's doing great, yeah, he's working on a lot of collaborations. You know, Mm -hmm. I think he came out with this thing called Space Force Mm -hmm. that came out, I listened to a little bit of it. He did a song with Rivers Cuomo, which was, uh, actually, it was actually pretty good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't, Put it on a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's like that thing of like, you guys are very proficient at what you're doing. Yeah. I could tell that you guys are regarded at high excellence. <laughs> like, I don't know why I'm writing you're this. Just, like, you're, you're like the, I'm a parent. <laughs> you're the queen of good effort. I think it takes, it's from you. It's a great effort, though. <laughs> it truly is. I truly give them like the best effort. It's just sometimes like, it does. so what? It doesn't hit me so well. What it comes from is from you coaching children's soccer for 12 years. Those it's, three-year-olds needed encouragement. <laughs> Otherwise, who knows what they grow up to be. Um, yeah. Yeah, but yes, and also the fact that I can hear how good it is, even if it doesn't maybe rile me up. Doesn't strike you, yeah. Nah. Well, Mark David Chapman's never getting out of prison. He's dying in prison, I guarantee mm-hmm. you. Or at the very least, the only way that he will ever get out of prison is if Yoko Ono dies before he does. Right. Because Yoko Ono makes... I mean, she kind of, she gets a little wishy-washy on it. Sometimes she's like, well, I kind of forgive him, but you probably, like, she says, like, you should not release him because he will be killed by a Beatles fan immediately upon his release. That's a good point. That's a good point. And I totally respect that. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think he, no, he will never be. He will never, ever be released. Never, ever. And so what Todd had to say about all this, obviously, somebody was smart enough to ask him, do you have any (laughs) comments on this? And he did say, like, well, I don't feel any connection to Mark David Chapman, obviously. Um, I wasn't aware that he was a big fan of my music, (laughs) you know. But what can I do? Like, he's just like, let's drop this now. Let's drop this now. Oh. I did actually forget one tiny detail. Mark David Chapman, when he shot John Lennon, he was wearing a Todd Rundgren t-shirt. Yes, a Hermit of Mink Hollow album shirt, which was, <laughs> it was a promo Todd Rundgren. Shirt, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a promo shirt. So yeah. yes, he's and then I think the Wizard album, like sitting in his hotel room. I thought it was Run. I thought it was an eight track. Did he also have Wizard I in there? Think, I think so. I'm no. not 100 percent sure. Could be. Uh, I do, which is crazy because it's all psychedelic and stuff, and it will make you do things, <laughs> but not murdering rock and roll stars. No. Or anything. Or anyone. And so, yes. Wizards not, no, a psychedelic record is not going to make you murder anyone. But yeah, but this is a very interesting, I guess you could call it a menage a trois of, <laughs> of three 
insane characters. <gasps> and I don't mean insane in, a, in any kind of real way, but there's Mark David Chapman, maybe more so, and then John Lennon, and then Todd Rundgren, all just kind of put together in history, just yeah. randomly. And every two years, we get reminded of it. Yep. And now, and I actually learned of it, about it a lot more this time around. So I, Actually, I did too. Yeah, it was fun to do a, a second deep dive on something like this. <laughs> it was really fun for me, especially to talk about it from the perspective of music. That was really cool. Yeah, so this has been Extra Play, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Absolutely. Oh, can I just say really quick for please further do. reading and then stuff I checked out, please check it out. Broken Record Interview with Todd Rundgren, hosted by Rick Rubin. I listened to quite a bit of that just to get a good idea who Todd Rundgren is. And then there's like a really fun like fan-made YouTube documentary called Todd. Mm-hmm. by Jazz K that I also checked out a little bit of. I, I didn't finish it, so forgive me if it sucks or whatever, but it <laughs> was fantastic so far. Great. And uh, yeah, so those are the things we're checking out and thank you so much. We're, we're going to get more into like sometimes music news or, or deep dives. It's just the queen died. <laughs> and so we had to like you know, come up with something more interesting, which yeah. I, I feel like this was a lot more interesting. I think so too. It's much more interesting than the new puzzle collection from Jay Mascus. Although actually, I, that's very interesting. Actually, it is very interesting. I do want to get some of those puzzles. We will get into that. We'll but, get into more new music news, and we're finishing up Patty Smith, so you guys are going to hear it very, very soon. Actually, yeah, very soon. Yeah, we're about to do part two, and then we're going to do part three, and then you fuckers can hear the whole thing. We're very proud of this series. We can't wait for you guys to hear it. Y'all are going to fucking love it. All right. If you want to follow us on Instagram, no dog. Pod is where you can find all that shit, where you can find sources, where you can find art, where you can find all sorts of cool things related to the show and related to the music that we talk about. Yeah, uh, and, and updates. And sometimes we'll post something fun, like uh, a little behind the scenes kind of stuff. It's, mm-hmm. it's fun. And if you want to contribute to Extra Play at all, you got any ideas, got any things that you want us to talk about, send us an email at nodogsinspace at gmail.com. Please do. Uh, we have already gotten some great, great messages so far. So I really appreciate everyone writing to us. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Have a good one. Goodbye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.